Page 837 is one where you want to make your way in your pew Bible this morning, where Mark chapter 1, verse 35 starts. I've had at least several of you this week say to me, looking forward to Mark chapter 2. And every time I'm kind of like, oh, um, well, we're, we're, we're not done with chapter 1 yet. Uh, and the reason for that was my decision. Now, you know, in the past, we've done whole chapters at a time, say when we did the book of Romans. But as, as I was looking at Mark... And perhaps you remember from the last two weeks, maybe more last week, as I was remembering that Mark has exceedingly long chapters, packed with more stories per chapter in shorter form, but more information than the other Gospels do. And so you try to take a chapter of Mark and you are really drinking from a fire hose. I mean, it's just coming at you fast. So I slowed it down a little bit. And remember, we're doing this between now and easter so we're getting mark 16 easter sunday morning and we're doing this between this service and the midweek lenten services right so to make all of it fit together with the right number of service and the right number of readings where we are today is mark 135 through 217 which gives us four stories if you read the whole thing through Uh, in this service i'll do a brief overview at the end of the middle we're going to start with the first story and the fourth story, right? And the late service, you can always get that sermon online. We'll go into more detail on the inner stories, if I pique your interest with that, with what we do here in this service today. What I want to remind us of is a couple of our key things we're looking for that sets Mark apart as distinct, and specifically the Holy Spirit of God in Mark working through our Savior Jesus Christ, stands out, I said this already this morning to you, because of his authority. It is unbelievable what his authority is able to do. He is not only able to talk to people and they just do what he says, like leave their father and follow him. He can talk to demons, tell them what to do. They do exactly what he says. You got a fever? He can talk to your fever too. The man has authority like you wouldn't believe. Who is he? Right. That's the question you're supposed to ask. And of course, you know, the answer is the son of God. But I I hope you're paying attention in the in the book itself. No one else gets that. Except the demons. They know that's the son of God. Let's run. Everyone else is like, what's going on? Let's watch this thing. Right. Well, he just cast out the demon. That was weird. This is new. Mm. They They don't say that's the son of God. They don't start saying that. Right. And so throughout the story, you're being given insight into the answer. Who is this through uh, the the revelation of the people who saw him before the cross, uh, not knowing that, which indeed, as much as John says it this way, uh, he says that those who believed in him had not yet believed in him before the cross. So the apostles who are believers, we want to hear them as believers. There was something that they were missing until the resurrection. And that's just something you have to know and trust. It doesn't mean they had no faith. Right? Get into questions about justification. Uh, it just means that something changed when Jesus died and rose. Uh, and now that change has been given to you again, which is important. And part of that is through this word that shows you how uh, he's the son of God. His authority is that of God's authority. Secondly, he's a little crazy. He's a little mad, a little different. Does some weird stuff. Some of that coming our way this morning. Uh, there's also just violence, violence everywhere. Conflict and cacophony and struggle and all manner of things. He can, he can never really lay down his head to rest. We're going to see that this morning a little bit, too. He's trying to get away from it, something you maybe don't think of as violence, but we'll ponder that. And then fear, uh, both the fear of man and and Jesus acting in the true fear of God. Uh, Fear is dominating the crowds and the masses. They don't know what to do. 
Jesus has come knowing God is with him, God is behind him, and that he is here to conquer the devil. Uh, and that goes head to head then through this, through this book. Okay, so if you've got your way to 837, verse 35 starts at the top of that page. And again, I want you to just kind of find with your finger, keep it by verse 35, find with your finger uh, verse 17 in chapter 2. You can see it's on the same page there, right? And I am going to give you kind of the overview skeleton just by reading the, uh, the structure here, right? So Jesus preaches in Galilee. Then we're, Jesus cleanses a leper. That's the rest of chapter 1. He heals a paralytic. Notice two healings right in a row. And then he calls Levi. Now, look on the page before. Uh, it's going to be page 836. Notice how at the top of that page in the right-hand column, it says Jesus calls first disciples. See the parallel now. Jesus calls Levi, chapter 2, far right corner or far right side, left, upper right, or excuse me, upper left, um, calling of Matthew, calling of Andrew and Peter and James and John. Sorry, I didn't say that well. I'm just trying to show you how there's like, the, there's like this brackets going on here in the stories, right? And on the outside of these brackets, Jesus is calling guys and grabbing them, right? And then what's going inside? Notice, cleanse a leper, heals a paralytic, heals a man with an unclean spirit, heals many, right? So you got calling of people, you got healing in the middle, and then at the very center, you got where we're about to start, verse 35, preaching, okay? Lots of people coming to him, he's calling some, he's healing many, and he's talking at the center of the whole thing, right? And we're going to zoom in on that talking this morning. We're going to zoom in on then some calling as a result of that talking uh, with the rest of the section from chapter 2. So here we go with verses 35 to 39 to start us off. Uh, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. I maybe should have done this before. Let your eyes drift back to verse 32, right before this. is the night before. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak to him because they knew him, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went away to a desolate place." The city, by the way, is Capernaum. That'll come up again in the book. But uh, Capernaum, his home base, there are so many people this first weekend crowding around the home, right, trying to get in through the door so that he can touch them, so that they can be healed of whatever it is they've got going on. You know what life is like. There's plenty of stuff that can be healed, right? Whatever it is, he's doing it all. Everyone kind of shuts down. It's nighttime. They go to bed. He wakes up at 4 a.m. He's like, I need some time without people. Jesus, it's right there. Rising very early in the morning, while it was so dark, departed, went to a desolate place. He went out to be alone. This is some of the crazy. Now, it's not really crazy to want to be alone. It's pretty normal as a human to have some time in your day where you're alone to recover from whatever else you had to deal with, right? <sighs> Take a breath, right? What you need to see here is, yeah, yeah Jesus went through that. He was here. He felt it. He knows what it meant. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't like make his superpower so he didn't have to deal with that. And you might be like, well, that means he would have like seen someone and they wanted something and he didn't like perfectly just love them with all his heart right away because he was kind of tired. Um, yeah, 
But see, you're, you're defining the word perfect a bit weird there. He loved them perfectly through his tiredness, which was the oppression of our sin upon him that he carried for our sake. He always did what was right. Huh? Uh, but he did it through our human frame. And our human frame with all of the thorns and thistles that God puts on us, the messengers of Satan and whatnot that Paul was talking about this morning, right? So here he is just being a human and saying, I'm going to go away. I need some time alone. But no, 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 wait, not alone, right? Not, not entirely alone. Some time alone where he can remember that he has a God who listens to him. Huh? He prayed. He prayed. And, and I don't think, honestly, that this means he went out and he got out his journal, started writing down a list of all the things he'd asked God for and checking off to see which ones had been answered and praying more for the ones that hadn't been yet. I, I really don't think that's kind of how he goes about it. I don't think that he just sort of you know, made a laundry list of requests. I honestly believe what he's doing is meditating upon the scriptures, which he knows by heart, making use of them as his prayers, calling out, out based upon the words of the ancient scriptures, the Old Testament, calling out to the Father in the present, proper terms, right? So that when he faces his enemies, he's calling on his enemies based on the Psalms. When he, he faces blessings to give and wants to give blessings to the people, he's making use of the Psalter uh, and calling on God according to the words of David. Uh, I'm convinced of that. Um, we can debate that, but I think try it. <laughs> try it. And you'll find there's some, there's some potent Holy Spirit working there. He prayed. Time alone with the scriptures. Uh, and Simon wakes up, right, Peter? And those who are with him, and they're like, where'd he go? Like the house is crowded. It's kind of like, you know, the after party. Everyone's sleeping on the floor, right? Uh, uh, and, and they get up to looking around. Where'd Jesus go? He went out somewhere. But they find him. So he didn't go too far. Wherever the desolate place is, it wasn't too far. But they say, everyone's looking for you. Like, why are you leaving? Like, party just got started. You have achieved, Jesus, what everyone who's a Christian in America thinks we're supposed to achieve as a church. Got a big crowd together. Successful church, right? That's all it takes. Get the crowd together. God's with us. You did it, Jesus. And Jesus is like, nah, nah. I, I don't even want it. He said to them, let us go on to the next town. Well, you just got 3,000 people together hanging out for church this weekend. Why are you going to leave? Well, I want to preach to other places. That's why I came. And verse 39, he went throughout all of Galilee, notice, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. <laughs> right. Uh, so, he, so here's the motif for who Jesus is. He walks into town. He says what he thinks. He casts out the demons. He leaves. He does this through all the towns. And it's, it's only going to increase his fame. Uh, the confusion will be there too for many people. For our part as Christians, I think it's hyper-valuable to zoom in on just the fact that he says, I came here to preach. I came here to preach. The mission of Jesus Christ in coming to save us from our sins is not to heal leprosy of people who have it right now. right? Or for, like for our end, right? as Christians, re our religion is not about God healing our cancer when we get it. Like that really isn't it. Can God answer prayers and give you help? Yes. Yeah. Um, but but if that's what you think religion's about, I mean, you're really you're really just thinking like a pagan at that point. Jesus says, I, I didn't come here to heal you 
here. I will to prove to you what I did come here to do, which is what I'm telling you over and over again I'm going to do, that that's the thing that I can do, which I'm going to save you from here by taking you somewhere else, a whole nother universe, a whole nother cosmos. I'm going to build it out of my own flesh and blood after I let this one get killed. Y'all with me on that? Here we go. What, you don't get it? And nobody gets it. Right? No one's following. They don't, they don't understand that he must die. But he's preaching about the fact that he is the kingdom come to purify the world. And he knows this will be his death. And he will begin to say it. And again, that's what's going to lead to it. The other thing that's going to lead to it is this debate about what is. What is clean? And what is unclean? Now, he just said a moment ago, he's going preaching and casting out daimonion, demons, ooh, darkness. Uh, but the word he used before for these wicked beings is unclean spirits. Remember that from last week? He calls them unclean. That idea, the difference between clean and unclean, is going to follow us all the way to why they killed Jesus. They killed Jesus because he's unclean. And the reason he's unclean is, well, they say it's Sabbath breaking. They say it's temple blasphemy. They say it's that he doesn't wash his hands the right way. The problem is that he is clean. He's actually clean. He's exposing the filth everywhere he goes. That's the violence. That's the, the conflict that's taking place here. And it starts with the demons, the unclean spirits, where again, he comes and his word has the power to clean a man who is so unclean, so corrupted as to be fully possessed by a diabolical being, Jesus can clean him. And he goes throughout all of Galilee, continuing to do this cleansing act. Now, again, I want to have us think about clean versus unclean with some different language. Um, uh, because for me, maybe, maybe you're different. For me, clean is like the kitchen table, right? Uh, clean is like the plates after dinner. Clean means that I got some of the crumbs off, right? Uh, or maybe I've got the dirt out of the carpet. And that dirt in the carpet is closer to what we're after here. But we have to understand that for the, for the Hebrew, and by this I mean the person who worshipped according to the laws of the Mount Sinai covenant, it's not about whether or not your plates don't have crumbs on them. Like that has nothing at all to do with the word clean. Nothing. So far away. Yeah, of course they clean their plates, but it's, that's not what they think when they say this word. And so when they say unclean, I think the word that probably helps us most in English is something like corruption or even defilement, right? When you spill something on that piece of material that just won't come out, no matter what you do, and now it, every time you wear it, you ha it looks, you can't, it's ruined. Right? That's the unclean that the Old Testament laws are talking about that say leprosy puts you as a human being in the category of ruin, right? Which if you think about it, when your skin's falling off everywhere, you kind of are. When you're contagious, you give it to everybody else, you kind of are. Your life's kind of ruined, right? You're unclean. Jesus is beginning by attacking the unclean spirits and then he goes right on from there and continues to attack the unclean everywhere else that he goes. I'm going to come back and talk about the leprosy one more time in a moment, but let's do the rest of our appointed text here, shifting over to when he's going to call Levi, chapter 2, verses 13 
and following. Why? Because here we're going to see what Jesus thinks clean and unclean is really all about. Okay. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him. And he's back in Capernaum. There's tons of people that they can't get alone. Right. He was teaching, though. He was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. Now, we've seen again four apostles called before this, all of them fishermen. All of them just Hebrew fishermen. Nothing particularly unique about them, nothing particularly wrong, nothing, nothing bad, nothing good. They're just good average humans doing good average jobs. Levi, we get a bit more out of this guy. First off, his name's Levi. Levi, Leviticus, Levites. This is a Hebrew name. He's a Jew. Um, and he's possibly, although not necessarily, of, of the tribe of Levi. He could be a Levite. The idea here. And the Levite's job, what's their real role? If you're a Levite, you have a special inheritance in Israel. Your life's kind of paid for. You're supposed to always be helping around at the temple, though. You're like, you're like I don't know, the office staff at church a little bit. Right? It's just your life. It's what you inherited. And here he is, not serving in any way in that capacity, but it's serving instead at the tax collection facility. Um, I'll come back to that here in a moment. But one more thought about his name. Levi, son of Alphaeus, potentially a Levite. This is Matthew. This is his, Matthew's name from, I don't know. I don't know why, actually, why it's a different name. What was his proper name? Uh, Matthew may be Greek, I think. Uh, but this is who he is, right? So he's he's bringing himself into the story. I'm sorry, this is Mark, though, that we're reading. Mark is bringing Matthew, uh, the author of the other gospel, according to his own story also. Matthew tells us into his story. Uh, the big point, big moment, same similarity between Peter, James, John, and Matthew is going to be, follow me, and Theo Valente. They do, right? Jesus' words have authority. Here it is again. What he says is what happens. Let's take a hard left turn and apply that right to you. Jesus' words have authority. What he says is what happens. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I forgive you all of your sins in the name of Jesus. Take and eat. This is the body and blood of Jesus Christ given for you. Jesus' words have authority. Why do we believe what we believe about the sacraments? Because Jesus' words have authority. Yeah. And so even though it doesn't look like the miracles, the cleanness of Christ's body entering to attack the corruption of the world is in fact here by means of these words about him and the very feast we're about to participate in together. Pull all that into one thing. Again, a tax collector. Uh, Matthew, being this tax collector, is kind of like the clean thing where we have a similar idea in America, but it's really very different because, uh, you know, clean, it's not really about crumbs. It's about co uh, corruption and defilement. Tax collection, I mean, I know you're not happy about your taxes. No, I, nobody's happy about the taxes. No one enjoys it. No one enjoys the process. I've, I've met IRS people. They're not happy about it. They don't like it either. But, but it's not just about taxes, okay? Uh, the issue here also is that by serving as a Jew, collecting taxes for the Roman Empire, he is handling idolatry every day in his hands because the coinage that he has to collect for the taxes has images printed on it, which Jews would find blasphemous officially, right? 
And his job is all about managing that idol factory confusion of government and religion in his country for his people on behalf of the tyrant who shouldn't be in charge, according to the promises, at least of some of scripture. So the tax collector was was a little more like the absolute uh, um, uh, traitor to the cause of the civilization in which they lived. He had sold out completely on anything that they believed. Uh, how would we compare this today? The, the closest I can get to this a little bit is if I use the word woke. And if you don't know what that word means, you're fine. If you do, you know what I mean. And that's kind of how tax collectors would view be viewed by, by Jews. Now, of course, uh, the way that the woke might view you um, would maybe be the way that the tax collector would view all the other Jews who thought so poorly of him, right? So it's not, it's not a one-to-one, but you get the idea, I hope. Okay, so this guy doesn't deserve to be called. That's what I've been trying to drive at here, right? This guy is unclean. This guy is definitely not who uh, the fishermen would be going to look for to be the next guy in the tight little knit group of zealous superheroes who are going to save the world with King Jesus. Uh, uh, but he calls him, follow me. He follows him and he takes him to his house. Okay, rest of the text, verse 15. He reclined a table in his house. So he brings him right to his house, throws a feast. Many tax collectors, and then here's this word, sinners, harmatia, means miss the mark. Sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Uh, they recline at table because they don't use chairs. Uh, they kind of sat on the ground, kind of the way it was. Uh, there were many who followed him. So he's got this huge crowd around the house. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with Sinners, and equivalent word, tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. So the story set up is easy enough. They're in the house. He's got a bunch of these people that you wouldn't invite to your house that are there. Um, and a bunch of these people who wouldn't invite you to their house, and, and they're there, and they're all kind of milling around, and they're asking, you know, why does this teacher of the law hang out with all of these people who hate the law? All these people who break it. Again, the closest I can get is, you know, why are you, St. Paul Lutheran Church members, going to drag, drag Queen Story Hour? What are you doing there? Now, this is important because this gets used to allow things like drag queen story hours. See how Jesus eats with sinners? Shouldn't you love sinners just like Jesus loves sinners? Right? Let it all go. Don't have any complaints. That's, that's not what's going on here, though. You got to understand that Jesus hanging out with the tax collectors, guess what he's saying? He's saying you guys are thieves. You take too much. You care too much about your life and you're greedy. You should repent of that and seek God. They're like, okay. Right? So, so there's something going on here. It's called repentance, and that's, that's in the text here in a moment. But see that, that this isn't just about Jesus eating with sinners, but it is. But it is. Uh, he's sitting with these tax collectors and sinners equally compared to each other. The word sinner, meaning again to miss the mark. Think like there's a bullseye or maybe a nice buck out in the woods, right? And you're aiming for that guy. You go bow hunting. I don't know. First time, let that shot go. Ah, it didn't hit. Missed the mark. I sinned. I sinned. 
Huh? Now, our theological use of that word has a lot more baggage to it, right? Uh, we, I got to go confess that at church. But the main word just means to miss. So here we have these tax collectors, idolaters, and people who miss it, people who don't get it, people who aren't really, again, seeking God. That's true. There's a problem with these sinners. These sinners are like naive and innocent and it's all okay. And if everyone just loved them, everything would be fine. That's not what's going on either. These are people who live broken, wretched lives. Now, again, I'm going I'm to step back here and risk something. here. I, I think most of you members of St. Paul Lutheran Church, most of you, live, I would call, above average, psychologically healthy, emotional relationship lives with your neighbors, with your extended family. And you got to know, as you visit around Rockford and shop at various stores, that a lot of people in Rockford don't. Right? Like Rockford's full of sinners. And by sinners, I don't mean just they do a bad thing here and there. I mean people whose, people's whose lives are just absolutely catastrophes. Absolute catastrophes. They're broken people. They don't even know they're broken people. They're just driving around in a rust bucket, smoking themselves to death. They don't even know. Watching their screen, here it goes. Right? Complaining, getting larger, feeling sore. Right? Yelling at their neighbors, yelling at their friends, unable to have any kind of civil communication, angry about this, that, or the other thing, the news, scary, blah, blah, right? Rockford is filled with people who are what are in this text sinners. They're just messed up people. And they're stunned by the authority of Jesus who keeps talking about who God is and what God's going to do and how God's here and how what they're being told about God by the, the powers that be is oh, half truth, half truth. Of course, now the scribes and Pharisees, verse 16, they're not real too excited about this, right? Why is he with these gross people? They're disgusting. They're gross. And I know, again, just come out of your heart a little bit and just think about the last time you were at that store that you'd rather not go to, but you got to go sometimes. And there was that one person and they were gross. They were gross. You saw it, right? What do you do when they're gross? Why does this man eat with tax collectors and sinners. Why does Jesus still talk to the gross people like they're people? Like they have a heart inside. And if you say something kind, they'll hear it. Maybe like you. Maybe want to hear more. And that, that is what Jesus is doing. As he confronts the broken of Capernaum and they're brought to him and they're overwhelming him, what he won't do is turn away Anyone who comes, regardless of how gross, impure, broken they are. That's what he's going to say. Right. Verse 17. He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. Great quote. Right. Great quote. You put that one, you throw that out in party conversation. and It works a lot of different places. Uh, but again, his point then is that I didn't come to call the righteous, but the broken. The sinners, right? the incomplete, the defiled, uh, the ones who can't. Now, I said at the start of this, St. Paul, I think a lot of your, your lives at home are, are fairly peaceable by and large, yeah, compared even to a lot of Rockford. I don't think that's bad. And I don't want you to consider yourselves not part of the broken, because you do have your own broken, for sure. No question. Yeah. So, so own that where it is. But then hear what Jesus is really about here in this text. It isn't about how everything's fine if we all just let the sinners do what they want and let's just love and be fine. 
What he's doing is he's confronting the uncleanness of the world with authoritative truths, and it's starting to change people. They're hearing it. They're getting it. They're wanting more. They're coming out of where they were. They're saying, Jesus, come to my home. Keep teaching me. And, and you'll see other places. Tax collectors will repent and give 10% and more of everything that they took and restoring tenfold, on and on. He's, he's engaging them so as to grow them, so as to have them not be what they were, which was just sinners. Yeah. Now, the word righteous is a powerful word. He's not coming to call those who are already righteous, but he is coming to call you to righteousness. The language that's being used in that, though, in uh, Mark's gospel is going to be the purity language. So with just like a minute here, let's glance at cleansing a leper and healing the paralytic. These, these two events that take place in between, we'll touch on it more next service as well, which is uh, Jesus is brought to him this leper, this man who is so sick and gross that he cannot normally be in the community at all. And the leper asks him a question uh, at one point. He says to him, uh, verse 40, if you will, you can make me clean. Do you remember how at the transfiguration, there was a guy right afterward, if you can, you can heal my son. And Jesus is like, can, what you talk about can, of course I can heal your son. Yeah. But it's a different question. This isn't if you can, it's, it's, do you want to? The leper asked Jesus, do you want to heal me? And Jesus, notice he says, oh, yeah, I do. You're clean. So corruption removed, right? Relationship restored. Life brought back a picture of what each and every single one of us in the soul is given in the pouring out of regeneration according to the Holy Spirit's promise. The corruption and leprosy of our hearts has been undone by the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. And we are given the promise that we are now clean in his sight. He goes on to heal this paralytic, which you would think would be just as big a deal as him healing a man born with leprosy. But the whole point of the story of the healing of the paralytic is the fact that before he heals him, he says, I forgive you. And everyone's like, you can't do that. And Jesus says, yes, I can. Here, watch. I'll make him walk. Now, what I want you to see, though, is how these two stories go together. So on one end of the story, we have Jesus getting rid of corruption and making things clean. On the other side, we have him forgiving sins. And then he says, after all of this, right, I came to call sinners to repent. And that then is the good news which he's been preaching in every town as he goes along the way. The kingdom of God is here. Yes, of course, you're a sinner. Turn and see that Jesus is, in fact, the man of authority with the righteousness to forgive you. And again, everything is well, really done already, as you Christians well know. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please rise for prayer.